Welcome back to the AGD podcast series. I'm Dr. Wes Blakesley. I'll be your host today. And thanks for being among the thousands of dentists in the country listening in. Our topic today, the rise of sleep disordered breathing and the dentist role. And our expert joining us is Dr. Ben Miraglia. I blew that. And our expert joining us is Dr. Ben Miraglia. Ben, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, Wes. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a great discussion. Topic I have a lot of interest in. Uh, before we take the deep dive into our subject, tell us a little bit about your background in dentistry. Yeah, of course. So I uh, graduated from uh, Buffalo Dental School in 1993, and then, of course, uh, year residency at Danbury Hospital in Connecticut. Started up in a private practice in Mount Kisco, New York, and spent my first decade doing um, very nice, fixed, restorative, reconstructive type of dentistry. So perio combined with restorative dentistry, and that was a solid decade. Now, over that decade, as a family care practice, we were still seeing the kids in the practice, and I was checking them. They were doing the hygiene visits. We were sending them out to ortho. Over the decade, we learned a few things about you know, the ortho specialty and how it was handling the children, and about 10 years in, I decided maybe I should explore this a little bit further. So, 10 years into practice, which happens to be 19 years ago, I started taking courses and I came across a few people here and there who then turned out to be mentors for me and guided me down the road of growth and development. So if we think about 19 years ago, growth and development was where I started, meaning earlier intervention to help grow the jaws, get the foundation right, then work on the teeth later. Now, as the next five to 10 years passed, that changed or kind of graduated, evolved, from growth and development to, oh, this is an airway type of relationship. And so now the full story is that, yeah, it's growth and development of the jaws, but not necessarily for the teeth, it's primarily for the breathing and sleeping. And the teeth become incidental, but we still want a beautiful smile as well. So my, my pathway went from restorative fixed implant reconstructive dentistry, swung into early treatment for children, growth and development, and evolved into airway through sleeping and breathing. Great pathway. Ben, in your opinion, why do so many children present to us with malocclusion? Yeah, so this one is a, is a solid answer for me because I've had the opportunity to learn from the likes of malocclusion anthropologists, Dr. Robert Corcini and Dr. Jerome Rose. Uh, Dr. Robert Corcini was my first introduction to malocclusion anthropology. Basically, his research and others like him show that Malocclusion is an acquired condition or an acquired trait. It's not a genetic trait. And prior to 400 years ago, there's little to no malocclusion in the human race. As a culture becomes industrialized or westernized, there's a transition to softer foods earlier. And with softer foods come less muscle use. And when you have weaker musculature, you get less bone growth. So it turns out the maxilla and the mandible get most of their growth by the muscle activity, provided it's strong and appropriate. And we use the word functional versus dysfunctional. So musculature does promote and provide you with the bone growth. So bone yields to muscle, form follows function. The adoption of the early soft diet between zero and two years old ends up delivering softer musculature and we lose an amount of bone growth during those years and it turns out from zero to two is where 54% of the maxilla and mandible are supposed to be grown. So during the largest time of bone growth, we have the softest of diet and the weakest of muscles. 
and it, it ends up leaving us underdeveloped. Now, underdeveloped jaws result in crowded teeth and bad bites. So the word malocclusion is bad bite. Anyone who has an underdeveloped set of jaws is going to have a malocclusion of some sort. And what they showed with this research is that variation also increases. So you get a variable malocclusion pool from an early soft diet in any culture. And that's a fascinating set of research that I did not encounter during dental school. But once you meet it and you read it and you study it, you can't get enough of it. So children today are in the high 90 percentile for malocclusion. In other words, if you look at a child, the likelihood of them having all of their primary teeth where they belong to then transition to permanent teeth by 12 and have them be where they belong with fully developed jaws and then turn 18 to 20 and have their wisdom teeth erupt into function without intervention. That is a very small pool of children who can do that transition from baby to adult with 32 teeth looking like a typonaut without intervention. That a lot of people will say that doesn't exist. It's so rare to have that happen. So basically we're looking at seventh generation post-industrial Western influence or living, which means we have a high 90 percentile for malocclusions of the underdeveloped variety. Interesting. And you would discount genetics on that? Uh, the, the reason I just throw this out there is that sure. using myself as an example, I'm like a mutt, okay? I had a Polish grandmother, my forebears come over from England in 1635, usually running away from the crown or the church uh, or uh, debt collectors. Uh, uh, there, there's uh, uh, Eastern European, uh, Czechoslovakian, and yes. Hungarian. So I, I'm like a real mix. And of course, I've got malocclusion uh, yes. filled with hedonics. Does that have any role or is that discounted versus the physiological effects of malocclusion? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, all, it's, it's almost an undisputable fact, thanks to the anthropology research on malocclusion and how you get it through an early soft diet. Genetics play less than a 5% role in how you get your jaws and teeth developed. It's fully an environmental or epigenetic result. So if you change the environment, you change the jaw growth and development. Not only has it been shown through the human race, but it, it's been shown by Dr. Harvold's research on monkeys and others on other animal groups. And so they have wonderful sets of hard and soft diet studies. If you take an, any early young animal group growing, one half of it would get its natural habitat diet, the other would get what we would deliver as like a soft pureed, pureed baby food, they'll grow differently. And so you're gonna have underdeveloped jaws through the maxilla and the mandible, everything is underdeveloped and smaller. The next level is the malocclusion rate goes from near zero to 50% in one generation. So in the first generation of trade for softer foods, you can show a malocclusion rate of 50%. It's significant when we're thinking about genetics because in the genetics society, the geneticists understand that taking a trait in a human being from near zero to 50% has a 27,000 year pathway. So for a gene to account for a human's trait to go from near zero to 50%, that gene needs 27,000 years to deliver that. Whereas we get it in one generation, which is 20 years. So in 20 years of using a soft diet, you would have the children become more than 50% malocluded. So you have research in every single direction, whether it's the malocclusion anthropology, looking at cultures as they become broken isolation and trade food, looking at their generational history, it's uh, ubiquitous around the world. In other words, it doesn't matter what culture you look at, the malocclusion rate follows industrial trade of soft food is the first step. Then you look at animal groups, the hard soft diet studies, and then you look at genetic research. So 
It's very well outlined in a book by Robert Corcini, How Anthropology Informs the Orthodontic Diagnosis of Malocclusion's Causes. I know the title is a mouthful, but you have worldwide unanimous agreement that genetics are not responsible for jaw growth and or malocclusion. It's barely a 5% rate where genetics are involved. Yeah, it's fascinating research. Now I've been studying that for almost 15 years. That was a very elegant answer. Thank you for that. Well, thank <laughs> you. Wanna, Appreciate that. <laughs> I want to dive into another area that actually concerns me a lot. And we spoke a little bit about this post uh, pre-recording. And that is uh, adults and sleep apnea. We are seeing just a ton of these cases come in. Some of the people are very stubborn about being diagnosed and treated. I think they know they have it, but they kind of want to push it off a little bit. But why is that, Ben? Why are we seeing so many of these cases today? Yeah. So let's think about our children turning into adults. So children today are seventh generation post-industrial Western living, which means they have a, a very high 90 percentile rate for malocclusion. Now, malocclusion is underdeveloped jaws. While that gives you crowded teeth, that's not your biggest problem. If the maxilla and mandible are underdeveloped, you have less room for airflow. So our airway, as we loosely say airway, it's a space. That space starts at the nostril and it has to go all the way in. It's got to go through the nasal cavity, then the nasopharynx, oropharynx, laryngopharynx. Those chambers are defined by how well the maxilla and the mandible grow. If the maxilla grows wide and forward, you have more space then if the mandible follows it, grows wide and forward, your tongue comes with it, so you have more space for airflow. When you have underdeveloped jaws, which is basically everyone has the early soft diet today, well, think about seventh generation children. Their parents are sixth and their grandparents are fifth. Now, it only takes four generations to break the 90% mark. So after four generations of industrial living, an 80 to 100 year mark, you have malocclusion showing up at a better than 90% rate, but it's in an, a category of underdeveloped jaws. Well, it should be no surprise that kids have an issue, parents and grandparents, because that's still fifth generation. Great-grandparents are the fourth generation. So if you take a look at adults, they have underdeveloped jaws because they had the similar upbringing. An underdeveloped set of jaws delivers an opportunity for OSA. Now, OSA is a specific diagnosis. What they have is some sort of sleep disorder breathing until you have a diagnosis. So the general category is called sleep disorder breathing, but anything that is not nasal breathing is considered unhealthy. A human being is an obligate nasal breather. So it begins with nasal airflow resistance. That's our first step towards trouble. If your maxilla is underdeveloped, you'll have nasal airflow resistance. You don't have as big a chamber because it turns out the maxilla is the floor and the walls of the nose. So you have this. Well, an underdeveloped maxilla delivers nasal airflow resistance. That's unhealthy. If that becomes too much, it triggers a response. The body's compensation for poor airflow through the noses will open the mouth. Now the mouth takes in the air. That's wildly unhealthy. Now the mouth takes in air, we might hear it. There's some snoring. If it goes a little further, we have upper airway resistance syndromes. And then of course the ultimate diagnosis is OSA. But just mouth breathing is wildly unhealthy day or night. Turns out at night it gets a little worse because you're supposed to be repairing yourself. So you, you should find a significant number of adults struggling with, let's say, silent and invisible and appropriate nose breathing, because anything other than that is unhealthy. And of course, if we get to OSA, we're on the fast train towards heart attack and stroke. That's wildly unhealthy. But even just a little mouth breathing, which people don't know they're doing, it's an automatic compensation, is unhealthy for adults. And I, my opinion would be that most adults 
today have nasal airflow resistance or worse. And most meaning, I'm gonna say probably 90% of adults have some form of nasal airflow resistance or worse. I would agree on that. You know, being a dentist now for 42 years, this is what we see a lot and more recently. Yeah. So I guess, Ben, it begs the question, what can we do? What can we do as general dentists? Because we have an obligation to our patients to help prevent the sleep disordered breathing, malocclusion, and help the uh, patients suffering from OSA. What, what's, sure. our takeoff, what's our takeoff point? So our takeoff point is the day we meet the patient. And so it doesn't matter what age they are, we have opportunities to help. So if we think about children, it's the easiest category to help because the bone is like a sponge. So you can help grow the jaws and also correct the musculature because if the early soft diet delivered the soft tissue dysfunction and weakness, then the ultimate, the ultimate treatment is let's strengthen and get back to proper muscle function. And you can reverse the whole thing by getting your muscles back. So we talk about myofunctional therapy. Orofacial myofunctional therapy is the pathway to establish nasal breathing and correct the muscle dysfunction and correct the muscle strengths. Now, if you have some muscles are weaker and some muscles are stronger, you have your imbalance in your growth. So you would want to have the weaker muscles gain their strength and the stronger muscles become back to normalized. So balance of the musculature delivers proper bone growth. That's one way. Another way is appliance therapy. There are dental appliances, whether they're fixed or removable, that give a child a chance to catch up. The pathway is we'd like to catch them up to where they belong and then reset the musculature and the breathing so they can continue to grow all the way to wisdom tooth eruption into function. So the outcome for a child should be keeping in mind the end game, which is wisdom teeth erupting into function. So that's children. Now teens, okay, it gets a little harder because the bone is maturing. However, there are still techniques to grow the jaws and provide the space for all of the teeth and then, of course, ultimately the tongue, because the tongue is a big part of our problem as far as airflow goes. So in order to have a tongue that has a proper garage, and I like to say garage because I refer to the tongue as the patient's Ferrari. So the tongue is your Ferrari. You want to have the proper parking space for it. And the tongue's parking space is defined by the foundational growth and tooth placement. So if you have full growth of the jaws and you have proper tooth placement, you just made a beautiful garage for that tongue. If your tongue is in its appropriate garage, the air goes behind it. But if this is smaller, well, your tongue is posteriorly displaced and the airflow is then compromised. So we want to build a chamber for the tongue. It happens in the teen years, growth and development. What about adults? Same thing, just different appliances and different techniques. So while Orofacial myofunctional therapy is available to any age group and can correct muscle function and strength. That's all across any age group. Dental growth and development, orthopedic, orthodontic techniques, those are also available at any age. One of the biggest myths we have in dentistry is that the maxilla is fused. That's a bad way to refer to the maxilla because the sutures that connect the maxilla to itself and to the other facial bones they do mature, but they really don't begin a fusion until into the seventh decade of life. Those are active suture sites. So mature is different than fused. With an appropriate appliance and technique, you can grow the maxilla. And if you grow the maxilla, you can remodel a high vault to be lower. You can open up the nasal chamber. If you grow the maxilla wider and forward, the mandible will follow it because a maxilla that is underdeveloped traps a mandible behind it 
and thus the posterior displacement of the tongue is secondary to that. So you do have techniques that can grow the foundation and deliver more room for the tongue and more room for the air at any age. Down a different road is just mandibular advancement. When you think about, well, let's just hold the lower jaw forward and holding the lower jaw forward does position the tongue forward and it corrects at the oropharynx only. It doesn't change nasal airflow. So if we have an adult that has an underdeveloped maxilla and nasal airflow resistance or compromise, a mandibular advancer does not improve nasal breathing. It improves air passage by the tongue. But if we wanna take a patient out of sympathetic drive and deliver a really nice functioning of the lung for oxygen, carbon dioxide and nitric oxide release and exchange, we need to be nasal breathing. So a mandibular advancer might come up short. It would make an improvement in airflow behind the tongue, but it doesn't necessarily deliver uh, nasal airflow that is beautiful and smooth and basically invisible and silent. The second compromise there is that it might come with a change in the bite. And if we wear a mandibular advancer long enough, we have nice studies by Markland showing that wearing it for an extended period of time, the patient comes out with a worse OSA diagnosis when they're not wearing it. So their problem gets worse. Short-term makes an improvement. Long-term might be making the patient worse. So there are issues with mandibular advancement treating the symptom, not the cause. Surgical procedures exist. You could get into MMA. I mean, maxillomandibular advancement, can, you could pull all the jaws forward and open up that space back there. So you know, the, the short story is dentistry has opportunities to help. Some of those opportunities exist in treating the symptoms. Some of those opportunities exist in treating the cause. I, I basically practice in the cause category. So at any age we meet the patient, it's time to get involved. And we present, educate, and teach, and then treat in the jaw growth and development category to give that patient in the, you know, a treat, the, a treat the symptom pathway. It seems like most orthodontists don't go down this pathway. Uh, you know, bands, brackets, and wires. I don't see a lot of appliances. Any reason for that? Um, that's a tough one. I mean, I could give a loose opinion because I haven't been to orthodontic specialty training, and I know that's a three-year program, but my, my belief, not having been through that program, is that the focus is on braces. And brackets and wires address teeth. Brackets and wires don't really address the foundation. Brackets and wires addressing the teeth don't really address the breathing and the musculature. So a set of braces doesn't improve nasal airflow. A set of braces doesn't change tongue function or strength. A set of braces doesn't account for any of the muscle dysfunction that's happening as compensation. So basically with braces, you could work on getting teeth straight. And the difficulty there is that if we're only addressing the teeth, we're addressing a single symptom of underdeveloped jaws. But underdeveloped jaws come with a long list of problems, the biggest of which is airflow issues. And so you, you tend to have with underdeveloped jaws an unhealthy patient, unhealthy human, whereas crooked teeth themselves or crowded teeth themselves, that's more of a cosmetic than approach to just line up the teeth. Now, the one big problem is that the end result is very unstable. And it makes perfect sense having taken the path I took. When you take the braces off, those teeth kind of want to go back. And they want to go back at such a rate that it gives birth to billion dollar aligner companies to be able to do it over and over and over. So the idea behind treating the teeth only is that, yeah, braces can straighten teeth, but they don't account for the things we just talked about. 
what happens with straightening the teeth is that if you are left with your muscle dysfunction, meaning the tongue is weaker and dysfunctional from the early soft diet, and the facial muscles have compensated to help with the chewing and swallowing, well, now you have facial muscles that are stronger. If the tongue is weak and the face is strong, guess where the collapse will be? Your teeth will follow the musculature. Collapse in. Crowding gets resolved by braces and then comes back thanks to the muscles being unattended to. So I think that that specialty has a focus on teeth mostly. And I think the specialty has a focus in a category of bracket and wire. And look, if, if you have a hammer, you can't cut a slice of wood with a hammer, but you can certainly try. So there's a deficiency. I believe there's a deficiency and we're not treating the cause necessarily. And we can make teeth straight and it only collapses at a high rate. And I believe that rate was documented by nice research in the above 90 percentile. So above 90 percentile, children coming out of braces will collapse without permanent use of retainers. And that's because the muscle is left to be in the condition it is. I think that there's a better pathway in treating the growth and development. And one day I would like to see that, that specialty evolve into foundation first, teeth second. Um, having said all that, I do want to mention that several of my mentors along the way have been orthodontists. And so, like you said, maybe most, and I would tell you, absolutely, I have had some remarkable orthodontists who are mentors to me who are in this category of growth and development, and they do the foundation first and the teeth second. They get the breathing right. They get the sleeping right. They get the muscles right. They incorporate myofunctional therapy. And when they go through this list of things, you end up with a healthy child or healthy adult, as well as having straight and balanced teeth. So they're out there. They're out there. We could use more of them, though. Ben, could you walk us through a case of a typical child patient? coming into your practice and how you would uh, do your diagnosis and initiate treatment. I'm also curious about the length of treatment with myofunctional therapy versus, you know, the traditional orthodontic bands, brackets, wires, et cetera. Oh, sure. So we, we meet a child, we take a set of records. And of course, there are photographs to take, there are x-rays to take, there are measurements to make. One of the biggest diagnostic tools I like to use is a transverse measurement. I like to measure in between teeth A and J or 3 and 14 because that is totally diagnostic of an underdeveloped arch. Uh, and so that comes out of the University of Michigan, thanks to Dr. James McNamara. We have research prior on children by Dr. Bogue, who understood that a four-year-old who is less than 30 millimeters between A and J is underdeveloped and will have progressively worse teeth and malocclusions. Um, if we collect a set of records from the parents, we also use diagnostic forms that ask a lot of questions about symptoms. So we'll ask parents to fill out information regarding behavior, sleep, and the things related to sleep are gonna be bedwetting, nightmares, night terrors, clenching and grinding of the teeth, sweating, movement at night. There's a long list of things going on at night, not, not the least of which would be mouth breathing or snoring if we have any of that right away, or sometimes parents know their child is pausing already at apnea. So if we start asking these things, and then when we get to behavior, we're talking about, well, how, how is the child's behavior? And you know, do they fall into any of those categories where we start talking about attention, and or acting out, whether it's at home or school, because a lot of that we have great research to show connections between behavior and the previous night's sleep. How we breathe at night can affect how we behave during the day. So with our set of records and some information from the parents, we have a consultation and we basically sit down and we teach the parents about underdeveloped jaws. We teach them about underdeveloped jaws and as a foundation, how that underdeveloped jaw relates to the teeth, which would be then crowded or in a bad bite, how it relates to the tongue space, how it relates to the airflow. What does the air have as a space to get from the nose to the lung? 
And can it be done with the lips sealed? Most parents report their kids' lips are apart and they do a fair amount of mouth breathing during the day and or night, which here we have our starting point for trouble. Since my lane is malocclusion, and we have nice research tying sleep disorder breathing to behavior, to cognitive relationships, to all kinds of good stuff. I'm not treating the sleep disorder breathing and I'm not treating the cognitive or the behavior. What I'm treating is the underdeveloped jaws. That's my lane. I diagnose malocclusion of the underdeveloped variety. We teach the parents what's available depending upon the age of the child. These are our choices. So those consultations usually end with how soon do we start? Because if you do that nicely, a parent understands this is my window to help correct this and have the biggest change in my child. Whereas the alternative is wait until 12 and do braces. Well, at 12, the opportunity for braces exists. And between 12 and 14, you can get braces on and straighten teeth. If we're working with braces from 12 to 14, it's not a foundational technique. So it doesn't offer an improvement in the airway or the sleeping or the breathing. And it certainly doesn't address the musculature. Well, that opportunity exists. There's a fair amount of parents who've had that. And it turns out when you're having these consultations, surprise, surprise, we learn that most of those parents have had braces with either headgear, elastics, or extractions. And because they're underdeveloped and may have been treated with a retractive or extractive technique, they probably have issues that need to be attended to as well. Most of those parents don't want the same pathway for their child, so they're very interested in a growth and development technique that can get their child grown and developed to not only have the 28 teeth, but to get the wisdom teeth in. So I can tell you where I am now that we're about 17, 18 years into this. A lot of the kids I treated early on are past college and now working. But the opportunity is such that if you do grow and develop the foundation early enough and you get your muscles and breathing correct, you can take that child out of the symptoms they were having. So we've seen the bedwetting disappear. We've seen the night sweats disappear. We've seen the nightmares disappear. We've seen the movement disappear. We've seen the lips go back to sealed and then breathe through the nose all night long. Children who used to wake up every hour would go to sleep and sleep through the whole night. But in the long run, what happens is we get to watch them grow and develop and then erupt their wisdom teeth into function. So now I've crossed over to the majority of the kids I've treated have their wisdom teeth erupt into function. So going from way back when, a long time ago, I was probably sending out 80 to 90% of teens for wisdom tooth extractions. And that was my number, but anybody in the dental industry can think about what's their rate of wisdom tooth extraction for teens in their community. We swung from that to now we keep most of them and they erupt into function, not just we didn't go take them out. We, we didn't leave them impacted. We, we have them erupt into function. So our pathway from start to finish begins with the records, consultation, treatment, and then ultimately I'd like to see that child erupt their wisdom teeth into function. That's our full goal. That's a great goal. Ben, I can't believe it. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're out of time. Uh, oh my so let, let, me, let me thank you on behalf of the uh, Academy of General Dentistry for a very robust discussion uh, about malocclusion, uh, disturbed sleep. We really enjoyed this. As I mentioned before we recorded, this is a topic that, uh, you know, that I as a dentist uh, practicing over 40 years wants to learn more about. And I think we all should. For the members listening in who'd like to reach out to you, and uh, a study with you? Uh, do you teach courses? What's the best way for them to interact with you? Yeah, so the best way is through Airway Health Solutions. It's where we do teach the courses. So www.airwayhealthsolutions.com. And there you'll be um, connected to my partner in crime that is Lauren Gates. And through that site, you can look into coursework and then see if anything that we talked about today was appealing enough to learn more. 
and we're happy to take you through it. Are you doing live presentations now, or I guess kind of post-COVID, or is it, uh, is it, I know, is it online? We're trying. So yeah, we, we, we were doing live pre-COVID, and then COVID, we went to webinar-based, and we, we just scheduled our first live event in October. So we're, we are trying to get back to the live event. It's nice to be in contact with people and do a live event. I, I prefer it, but it, if circumstances dictate that it needs to be web-based, we, we will teach that way because a lot of people need attention, and I, I will do it web-based if we need. So this podcast goes coast to coast, north to south. It actually leaks out internationally, which is interesting. We have uh, mm-hmm. listeners from Europe, uh, Northern Africa, the Middle East, and then the Far East, as far as Kyrgyzstan. Uh, but right. where do you lecture mostly? Is it on the Northeast uh, side of the country, or do you go around the country a bit? Probably most is the Eastern half of the country, but I have taught in, I've, I've been on the West Coast as well. So basically anywhere. Anywhere people want to learn, I will make it. A, you know, I'll make my way there. Predominantly, it's the eastern half of the country. Well, that sounds great, Ben. Again, thanks for sharing your uh, wisdom and knowledge and experience with us. So it was a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Wes. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. You too. Thank you.